Hi, you're listening to Andrew Farris on NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B. Check it out. Welcome to Annexos Access All Areas. My name is Bee and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Annexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums and oh so much more. Welcome to NXS Access All Areas, episode 43, where we dive deep into the greatness of this band, aim to get them into the Rock Hall of Fame with a little bit of a collective fan push, but have a community that can share and experience and uh, talk about all things great about this band. Hello, B. I look at your smile today and it radiate, radiates the room. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm very hot in this room, actually. <laughs> well, you are about, uh, we're about 1,500 kilometres away, so you are mm. probably in a more close to the equator town than what I am. Um, yes. I'm in four seasons in a day, Melbourne. You're in Coffs Harbour, sunny, beautiful, perfect, one day after the other. Yes, it's very um, warm. <laughs> well, look, uh, I guess we always like to start off by saying, how's your NXS week been? Because it's, uh, it feels like it's getting busy for all of us all around, yeah? Yeah, it's um, it's been quite a fun week, actually. I think I've been messaging saying, <laughs> I sound a bit like that video that I put out, oh my God, Hayden, guess what <laughs> happened next? Um, so who was the first one? It was um, Martha's birthday, Martha Troop's birthday, who was um, in excess his manager. Yeah, after Chris hung up his impresario cape for a little bit, mm-hmm. Martha, who was based, I think, out of New York, sort of took over a lot of the stuff from there. But happy birthday, Martha, if you yeah. are listening, or you do know Martha. And, and, and she said that I asked her politely if she'd like to come on the show. And she says, great. Oh, okay. Another yeah. guest lined up. Okay. It'd be like nice guests. to have a lady guest, wouldn't it? Fantastic. Balance the ledger. Okay. Mm-hmm. What else is happening in your in-excess world or, you know, part of, uh, you know, your uh, areas of expertise, Be Well, there's a certain guy on um, Instagram and he likes to do live shows called JD Fortune. Do you oh. know that gentleman? Look, we have heard of him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jason Benison is his real, I think, mm. surname. But anyway, well, you all know JD from the Switch album. You've had made contact with him, yeah? I've made contact yet again, and um, he says, let's talk next week. Okay. Ooh. And, and so, speaking of other uh, impersonating lead singers, you've had contact with a guy from a miniseries. Is that right? Oh, now that's big. That's yeah. big. Yes, Luke Arnold. But you look, but you look extra warm now when I mention I know. I know. Extra, I don't know. So. I, like... And I've got no makeup on. I will be wearing makeup on that day, I tell you now. hat in the room, (laughs) And he's got a new book out, so we can talk about his book. Yep. (laughs) But we'll talk about a lot of things, I reckon. So he is really lovely, really, really lovely guy. And he said, um, I've got heavy deadlines, he says, but I will try and get you guys. I'll look at my calendar and get you guys a date. Just to recap, Luke Luke Arnold, who played Michael in the miniseries. Yeah, I saw some of the exchanges between you guys. And, uh, yeah, I think it looks like that one's going to, tee up a little bit because um yeah it'd be great getting a behind the scenes sort of uh insight as to the miniseries and what luke was you know able to do to sort of interpret that performance that he gave for michael which was an awesome one so there you go i was talking about our diary wasn't i earlier it's getting full isn't it listen listen someone <laughs> well, disorganized well, well. like me you probably disorganized me more with a diary but anyway <laughs> I, I try to organize you <laughs> i shall try i shall try okay um, so 
guys, we've got some some fabulous guests that are going to come onto the show. And that's just the touch of it. We've got so many more people that we're going to have on here. It's going to be so exciting over the next couple of months. Also, we've got new merch coming. Thank you to Danielle and to Foxy and for the patrons, that is. So if you want to become a patron, you know what to do. Come on board. It's only going to cost you $5. And this show in itself has uh, taken all my time all week to prepare. I don't mind. I love it. But it would be nice if I could be appreciated with a cup of coffee. There's a little app at the top of the Facebook page, In Excess Access All Areas. And if you click on that, that'll take you directly to the Podbeam app and to the patron page. In terms of patrons, B, we'd like to welcome them aboard uh, and like to give them a sense of uh, belonging to our podcast. So over to you to do our welcome. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Hello and thank you to Nick Egan, Pedro and Marie, Foxy, Felicia, Sarah Markram, Laurie, Carmen, Sudi, Matt Dean, Joe Robbins, Mandy, Linda, Danielle, Dr. Jim, Amanda H, Leon, Lisa Urban, Lisa Calloway, Lisa Mack, Kathy, Carrie Ann, Vern, Caroline, Tracy, Susan B, Susan P, David, Sandrine, Paul J, Paul B, Joseph, Sarah Kemia, Warren and Amanda and Melissa. Thank you all. Thank you very, very much. Oh, and while I think about it, I met a lady called Deborah and she used, um, she's from England and I met her at my new place of work and she used to work for Polygram Records in Barclays Square. And, oh. and she, yeah, and she used to have the boys come in in excess. So She's listening. So hi, Deborah. And she yeah. says that she's got a few friends that will be listening. So that's really cool. So I'm, I'm looking forward to having a proper coffee date with Deborah and her girlfriends and hearing all these fantastic stories. been sort of in a little bit of shock down here with uh, the passing of uh, Michael Gadinsky, who really was, uh, you know, George Martin was the producer of the Beatles and Mark Opitz was sort of the, the Aussie uh, great producer. You know, uh, Michael Gadinsky is probably the Clive Davis equivalent uh, down here in Australia for, uh, I guess, everything from, uh, you know, touring artists, uh, getting them here, running record labels, hosting, you know, bands in his own studios and things like that to record. I mean, he unfortunately passed away in his sleep a couple of days ago. So there's been mm. tributes out and we might elaborate on that a little bit more in the news, but yeah. um, that's probably taken over our town. There's a state funeral for him and yes. we'll, we'll share a bit of insight about him a bit later in the episode. Yeah, very sad for the music industry. Um, yeah. And, it, and everyone's I, been touched, haven't they? Yeah. And I guess jewel-wise, sort of three-wise, a big shout out to Mark Opitz. Again, I want to thank him mm. uh, genuinely on both our behalf for coming on uh, for the two episodes. Um, and I know, Mark, we've only got two to go before you qualify for uh, <laughs> uh, for uh, status into our honorary patron. So we will get you there. Don't worry. We will get you on. Um <laughs> You know, number one, thank you for coming on. Number two, thank you wholeheartedly for the book and the nice words in the book that you sent down to me. Uh, and number three, you know, uh, uh, condolences to you. I know um, uh, you name, uh, you know, uh, Michael Gudinski is is two of your heroes uh, in your life. Ted Albert was one of them, and Michael Gudinski is the other. And 
combine that with Chris Murphy recently. I know it's been a very tough time for mm. you personally. Um, so we do uh, share and feel for your pain and uh, acknowledge um, what you're going through. So, um, and, and again, thanks for being on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. sort of touch upon the theme of this week's episode so for those who can get through our uh, preamble uh, and hang in enough time before we get into our topic it's a bit of a special one this week because we're going to be interviewing a band that's not in excess uh, and be you spearheaded this particular interview what I wanted to highlight was uh, and the theme around this episode is that in excess uh, we're a very generous band and what I mean by that is that they would uh, bring young talent on tour with them uh, I think you two have been equally good at that as well, you know, bringing young up, up and coming bands onto these tours. And it's a little bit like in, in Excess's early days when they were young coming through, they went on tour with Midnight Oil that was one of the preeminent bands in Australia. And I think if you're a young band and, you know, you're going from pubs of 300 people to, to you know, arenas of five, 6,000 people, even as a support band, it just helps you, I guess, get comfortable and confident in those environments. We all know the, the legendary stories how Inexcess went on to uh, supporting Adam Ant in America. And much to Adam's dismay, uh, Inexcess both <laughs> blew him away uh, on the uh, stage and, and maybe got blown away off the stage, pardon the pun, B. But uh, <laughs> hello, the Go-Go's. But uh, in terms of, you know, Inexcess's generosity and support for other bands, I know here in Australia, bands like Rap Cat, uh, bands like uh, UMI, uh, who were eminent, these were eminent bands in Australia who then went overseas, you know, got supported uh, within excess, taking them on sort of various tours. I know when you and I played in America and I think they were playing, you know, very small crowds, you know, the bands sort of came outside of the stage and sort of helped cheer them on. And, you know, there are anecdotes where Tim Rogers from UMI remembers that and they're very supportive in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, people may not know that uh, around the kick days that uh, in excess were very uh, instrumental in getting, uh, I guess, Public Image Limited with Johnny Rotten on one of their tours. Uh, and I think even Joe Strummer um, and obviously Guns N' Roses in those early days uh, supported In Excess. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you think about some of these bands that emerged, you know, um, In Excess were very, very generous uh, with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess in relation to they, today's topic with the Soup Dragons, um, they were, be, I guess, around the summer of 91. Yes. Uh, very fortunate, but also uh, very much uh, complimented, you know, In Excess as a, as a support act and also complimented them as a band that really helped them on tour, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to give anything away because it's <laughs> okay. really magical. I mean, for yeah. one, he's, his accent's just to die for to listen to. <laughs> he's great and he's such yeah. a sweetheart. Um, I will re- reference one thing, though. Um, in the promo um, visual that I've done, um, Sean kindly gave me uh, a card that Michael presented to him. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so that's nice that he actually talked about that. There's a little, yes. a little thing on that. So, um, yeah. But there's some great, great stories there. And... Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying no anymore. Not well, saying what, anymore. We, what we've aimed to do in our podcast is we said we do dive deep and, you know, this may not be a literal in excess episode topic, but we are taking you behind the the uh, the uh, the walls and doors into the world that was there. And you think even like with Chuck on a few weeks ago and we, we've had a um, bunch of the fans and participations of people who knew Michael, you know, even from you know Nick Egan's anecdotes, we're trying to, in this podcast, you know, get you to know the band uh, both then and now. Um, mm. So um, as I said to you pre-podcast, B, I haven't even heard this interview yet. No. So I'm going to enjoy listening as a fan uh, uh, of what you're doing and what the band contributes. So I'm eagerly waiting, listening to that when we uh, launch it on all our uh, platforms. 
Okay, no worries. Yeah. All right. What's the time for? Time for the news. Hi, it's Carmen here from Wollongong, Australia. You're listening to the world's best in excess podcast, in excess access all areas, and now it's time for the news. All right, well, it's that time we do the news. We like to start off with the Oz Charts, B. And at the time of recording, I can reveal good news. Uh, let, me guess, had... let me guess, let me guess, let me guess. Okay. <laughs> it's gone up. <laughs> Put it that way. 38. Yes. <laughs> Did you read my text? No. Are you guessing? I'm guessing. Okay, very Is well. Is it really? Well, well, it's gone from 42 to 38, the very, the very best of, Okay. I will base your surprise on the fact you did guess correctly. So a little mini <laughs> search. So uh, thank you to those who went out and bought it this week and uh, keeping it relevant in the top 40. Um, additional news this week. Uh, I this morning got online because I saw there was a link to an interview that Andrew has done. Andrew's back on Media Street, absolutely yes. killing it. Okay. Yes, he is. Um, but there is a good article, sorry, well, good interview per se with the uh, Brisbane radio station called 4BC. And... Uh, it's about a nine-minute interview about Andrew and, and his albums coming out and just the tour and recording and a few little in- interesting stories there. Uh, the interviewer has a bit of an annoying voice, um, but that's okay when I'm there to listen to him. Also talks a little bit about uh, one of his new singles that's just been released called Run Baby Run. So yes. um, after hearing a few of the different tracks there, this one's quite catchy, melodic. Uh, so uh, Have you heard it? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh. I have to confess yeah, yeah. I have not heard it. Run, yet. baby, run. So good lyric in it as well. So it was a good little uh, part to that sort of mm-hmm. episode where they played the song. Um, also, too, in Andrew News, uh, some of you do know that sort of last week he did a bit of a streaming of his first live ever concert uh, yes. on YouTube. So I think it was recorded at Studio 301 and uh, it was sort of a precursor to his national tour uh, that we've talked about that's coming up with all the dates um, on his site, et cetera there. Uh, May 7th, Melbourne, B. Uh, it'd be great if you could come down for that. Uh, but you never know. Uh, I'll tell you what, be... May's going to be a very busy, busy, busy um, time of year because I've got another party to come down to Melbourne. Ah, well, yeah. you just the month of May. There you go. Yeah, on the 12th. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, look, uh, again, uh, pretty busy times coming up all around, uh, which mm-hmm. is good. But uh, I think check your local guides uh, for Andrew and the respective uh, cities and venues he's in. officially been announced for release uh, which I can let listeners know who don't know that it is March 19th internationally uh, and locally so the actual full uh, album not the EPs or the singles and things like that this is the album itself uh, will be released on March the 19th 
Uh, I think Pedro's had a copy of this since 1943. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, How lucky yeah. was he getting that? We might, call, we might have to relate Pedro calling Marty McFly back to the future because he seems to flip <laughs> around and get things. I don't know. I reckon, he's, I reckon he's a time capsule guy. Aww. But, um, yeah, March 19th for that. So uh, the famous words, do yourself a favour uh, and download, stream, buy, whatever you can do. would be great to get uh, Andrew into the charts and have another element of chart watch, B. Andrew, yeah, yeah. let's get him up there. Yeah. Uh, and the last bit of news, uh, there is a really cool podcast series out there called Famous Last Words. And uh, it's, I guess it sort of goes back in time and minds interviews from various artists and things. And there's a really good one uh, that relates to back in 1982 where Michael is on tour in America and talking a little bit about the go-go's again <laughs> uh, and talking a little bit about the Shabu Shabar tour. Um, do yourself a favour. It's a really good listen. Um, uh, again, it's imagine if we could all look, look at ourselves 20, 30, 40 years ago and, and go back and hear ourselves speak. Um, but this one's really captured a, at a time where the band were emerging in America. Uh, again, the podcast is called Famous Last Words. Oh. Uh, it might be Famous Lost Words, I think. I might be getting that wrong. Oh. Famous Lost Words, I think it actually is. Pardon for that. Um, okay. But, yeah, I guess it's it's like anything. We like to sort of be a an aggregator of knowledge and music that we can, you know, uh, bring to you that we, we suss out and source. So, if, you know, you want to get more of an in-excess fix than just us, which hopefully you do, you can sometimes take up these articles and these sort of, uh, you know, podcasts as well. So um, that's News of the Week, B. report for this week is Don't Change is at Kingsford on Friday on the 12th of March. Then we have In Excess If at the Rockstar Bar in Las Vegas on the 19th of March. And we have Live Baby Live coming up very soon. And the In Excess Tribute Show will be playing at the Railway Hotel um, this week also. So if you have a band out there to do with In Excess, let us know. Email us at inexcessaaa at gmail.com. This is Tim Farris, and you're listening to Access All Areas with Hayden and B. Hey. Now it's time for Topic of the Week, sponsored by Tilly and Wilbur, providing unique Australian designed and affordable expressive wear. They make ethical choices one tea at a time by using sustainable quality clothing, supporting fair trade and using recycled packaging. Use the code in excess POD for 20% off your first purchase at tillianwilbur.com.au. Welcome to the Beeline. Today's special guest is Sean Dixon. Hello, 
One, two. One, two. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, sorry. I thought you said you can hear me. <laughs> no, I can hear you. I've just been watching some of your videos. You're a right party <laughs> boy, aren't you? <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. You were there with um, the top of the pops um, sign behind you as well. Awesome. I have a top of the pop sign, yeah. Yeah, how'd you get hold of that? Um, do you want to know the story? The story was I was in the centre of London in Soho and it was a few days before Christmas. And I was shopping and I was uh, I was needing the toilet. <laughs> and, in Lon- and in London, uh, there is... Uh, there's like no toilets and the toilets are there. You usually need to have some money on you to go in. So I don't have any money on you. You can always guarantee a toilet in an art gallery. So there was an art gallery in Soho. It's like a neon art gallery. And I thought I'll just pop to the loo in the art gallery. And I went in the art gallery. I love that place anyway. I went downstairs and it was lying against the wall. Was that the portrait gallery, by the way? No, no, it's a neon gallery. It's called oh, something like God, God, God's Own Junkyard or something. And um, okay. it was lying against the wall. It was switched off. I went back upstairs. I used the loo and I went back upstairs and said, um, is that an original Top of the Pop sign? And the girl went, yeah, my dad used to make them for the BBC. And I said, can I buy it? Um, she said, no, it's sold. And I was like, oh. Uh-huh. And she goes, why do you want it so much? And she goes, no, we can make you we can make you one. And I went, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. I was quite like one of the originals. Because she said that they used to make like a few a week because they kept breaking all the time and uh-huh. whatever. And she said, um, sorry, a few a year, not a few a week. She said to me, uh, give me your number and if one ever comes up again so I gave her a number and what she did was phone the person that was buying the, the original one and said if we made you a new one would you be bothered and they were like nah we just want a top of the pop sign so she phoned me about an hour later and said listen do you still want that original one because we'll sell it to you I managed to get it for my Christmas I bought it for myself <laughs> I love that story so you only went for a wee and ended up with something original yeah. like that that's went, pretty went awesome for a, went for a wee and came back with a top of the pop <laughs> I love those stories. Absolutely <laughs> love it. Actually, I love one of your other stories. The, the one where um, you just, um, it was your iconic song, I'm Free. And you were at the Astoria um, the night before you supposed to be Please tell me, please tell me one on one that story. Go on. Um, what happened? Do you like telling that story? <laughs> The infamous BBC story. Do you know something? I actually don't like telling it until recently because I'd never seen the footage ever. I only experienced it from being there. So I've only had memories of how absolutely awful it was. But actually seeing the footage, because I talked about it on a documentary a few years ago, and they never told me they were going. They had the footage, and then they, when it came on the BBC, they showed the footage. And I was just like, oh, and, then they, and then and then they put the footage on. They put the footage on. Uh, the internet and it kind of just went crazy. It was shared all over the place. And even Lorraine Kelly, Lorraine Kelly, who's the person interviewing me. Um, but anyway, the story is we played a gig at the Astoria. It was when I'm Free was in the charts. It was like number five in the charts. <clears throat> Everything was like all crazy and full on. And we all decided after it was the last, I think it was the last gig of the tour and our album was out the next day. And we were about to go to America. 
a few a few weeks later. So it was like, uh, let's uh, let's go partying. So we went to a rave. Um, you know, like would I say it was a rave? It was a it was a big club. It wasn't like a rave in a, a field or something. But yeah. it was a, it was a yeah. it was a full on nineteen ninety acid house party. Yeah. And um, we went to the party. And then we went back to the little the little flat that we'd rented in London while we were like promoting the single in London. <laughs> oh god, this is so awful. And we're all we're all quite happy. Okay. And there's other friends with us. We're chilling out. We're having a chill out. And about half past six in the morning, there's a knock on the door, and I open the door, and there's a guy standing there in a suit with a hat on and a big black car kind of like on just down on the road and he said to me I'm from ITV I'm here to take you to the uh, Good Morning Britain <laughs> and I just looked at him and I went what? and he said you're the Soup Dragons aren't you? and I'm like yeah and he goes well, you're on Good Morning Britain in an hour and I was just like what? Uh, could, could you could you wait there a minute and um, went back into the and it was before this is actually before mobile phones really even and yeah. we went back in and phoned our manager who was in bed and I went there's a guy at the door and he's um, he's he's like from the ITV and he wants to take us to Good Morning Britain and he goes yeah I told you last night you had to be up for six o'clock to go two of you to go to a breakfast TV in front of 20 million people and we were like I was like um We've just kind of taken lots of things and we're all completely off our faces and we're all sitting here kind of really <laughs> off our faces. So you basically said, who um, who out of the two of you are a kind of more compass mentors? Yeah. So I, I was, it was deemed that I had to go because I was a singer and um, the drummer, Paul Quinn, came and... It was literally the most crazy experience I can ever remember. I remember at one point, the coffee tables that were kind of in front of us, we were getting interviewed, had televisions sunk into the tables so that the presenters could watch themselves, but you can't actually see from the camera. And then suddenly when my face came on that TV and the Good Morning Britain clock was at the side of my face, I just completely lost the plot. I was like, <laughs> I was trying to keep my head around the fact why was I actually dreaming this or was I actually on TV on Good Morning Britain? So it was like, it was like being interviewed in the third person it was it's pretty psychedelic actually I mean it's having Lorraine Kelly there as well you know somebody that you'd always seen on the TV and then the next minute you're there with them at six o'clock she she kept asking questions like you know, she's she's from a town next to where we're from she's like oh you're from East Glow we're from now and it was just like the thing that's really sad is we come across as quite like a rubbish interview and I've, and I've apologised to Lorraine about this I mean looking back and I think oh my god I mean it became quite infamous because f- for weeks after they kept talking about it on Good Morning Britain and there was even a sketch on a children's Saturday morning TV no. show taking the mickey out of us on Good Morning Britain <laughs> I mean it just became it became this kind of iconic thing that we were just a bunch of kind of um, you know yeah a, bu- a bunch of rape you know we well, hardly spoke really, did you? You just like you just like looking down as if to say, I really don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, it was it was more a case of I couldn't actually hear what was going on, to be honest. Or where you were. Oh, that's where I was and um So you were right. We walked, 
you were no, number office. five or something by then or something. What had you, you'd reached the charts and you were quite yeah, successful. Yeah, it, it was number. It was in yeah, it was number five in the charts. We'd been on top of the pops quite a few times, and then the cra- the craziest thing was as we walked off. Um, the guys from the record company turned to us and went, congratulations, you're one of the first bands to ever be barred from Good Morning Britain. <laughs> yeah, so we were barred. But not anymore. Well, we don't say. exist anymore, but yeah, yeah, we were barred. They'll let you on. Well, you're friends with Lorraine. I'm sure you'll get on there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure. Um, at some point in the future of... Uh, anything ever does any, any any success, I'll get dragged on to Lorraine Kelly to sit there and talk about it. And they can show the interview again. And um, that is well, kind of cute. Now, do you know something? Times may have moved on. People understand things and all that. In 1990, it was shocking. I mean, I remember my mum yeah. thinking I was tired. My mum was like, oh my God, you were so tired. And I'm like, yeah, I was really tired. You know, it was like... You know, it was kind of like kids sitting having their breakfast and their mums watching us and, oh my God, they're completely off their faces on breakfast TV. But these days people look back at it and just think, so what? It was, it was, it was of its time. Yeah. It was of its time. It was a part of culture that I'm actually quite proud to be part of. Mm Exactly, thirty years ago today, that you were in Philadelphia. With an excess. Mm-hmm. Exactly wow. the right day, the 23rd of February. I looked I think it, up. it was was it was it two nights in Philadelphia? You were. You were there last night as well. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. I remember I remember in that too, because there was there was quite a lot of double uh, shows, you know, where you stayed, which we kind of liked because um, Michael and the boys had a, a jet to fly between each gig, whereas we had a tour bus. Uh, I remember one. I remember. Oh, one you weren't allowed on the jet with them. <laughs> well, this is what I'm getting to. Michael said to me, he said, he said, um, quite a quite a it's quite a distance to the next one. I went. I know we've got to travel for two days in a bus. And he's like, come on our plane, you know, come on our jet plane and. I was about shy back then. I'm like, I'm not going to go on your plane. You know what I mean? But once we were on a tour bus traveling for 48 hours, I kind of wished we had got on his plane. And that must yeah. have been really good fun on that plane. Um, I mean, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't ostentatious. I don't think it had an excess wrote down the side. I think it was just like they had a, you know, from each show, they had like a chartered plane to take them yeah. to each gig. But uh, well, some, of, some of the... one they would have been high, at their height as well, wouldn't they? So they would have... Uh, they probably did have in excess written on the side of their plane. So it was like the tour, ma- the tour manager... Uh, our tour manager used to curse them because of the distance. Because whoever had put the tour had put it together with that in mind that you could actually fly to each gig overnight. Uh-huh. Whereas we were doing things like coming off stage, getting on a tour bus and then driving for... Twelve hours to the next show. So how did it come about anyway? 
How did how did it come about that Whoa. you toured with them? I mean, where I was trying to work it out. Is it through like I don't know? Because Michael liked the Happy Mondays, didn't he? So that was after that, uh, he wasn't was, it? He was, a, he was a kind of a, he was a kind of a big fan of I'm Free mm. and that album. He was a big fan of Love God. Mm. What happened was um, we were asked to do two shows in Florida. We turn. We came over from Glasgow with just like a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. You know, we were only going to be in America for two days, yeah. and um, we got to the states. Uh, we went to Florida. Went to this, you know, huge arena that we'd never played in front of thirty thousand people before. We played festivals and things, but not inside in a big arena. And we played. We opened. I always remember it was like eight o'clock to half past eight every night. So we opened. Yeah. And, um, and little did I know, you know, Michael and the guys were watching us from the side and we come off stage and literally, I hadn't met Michael at that point and literally he comes bounding into the room, uh, to the dressing room. And he was like, yeah, yeah, it was, that was amazing. That was great. He goes, do you guys want to do the whole tour? Oh. And me being the kind of uh, naive person and kind of said, well, we don't actually have any clothes because we've only brought... <laughs> oh, I'd love to, but... I've Can only, you buy I've me some clothes? <laughs> And a t-shirt and he disappeared. And then the next minute his tour manager came back with a blank check by him and said, go out and buy everything you want, come and tour with us. Oh wow. And that I was meant it. to show you the card. I've actually got somewhere in a in a cupboard somewhere. I've got a card where he said, Welcome to the tour, love you. I've, I've actually still got that card. And um we became we became really good friends in that tour. It became good fun. It was a good laugh. You know, he used to he used to joke about wanting to join our band on stage. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, he likes the party and the dance part of it. That's where I was going to say you're. I was listening to like your music, and you were more of a dance band towards the end. Even though you started off as the guitars, didn't you? A guitar band in the indies. Because it, it took you, what, five years before you became really popular in the charts? Is that right? Charts-wise, yes. But we, yeah. were, we, were, we were kind of a, a band from the, you know, from the start. We were, mm. you know, we had, we had different levels of... I mean, I don't really base things on success, but um, if you want to talk about contemporary success, like television, you know, radio, like, yeah, you know, around the time of I'm Free divine thing all that period there, there was there was a lot of really popular records yeah. you know I'm, I'm free was really big in a lot of countries that we never ever went to australia being one of them we never yeah. actually ever got to come to australia we never went to japan we never went to new zealand it was in the charts in new zealand um thai you know thailand all, all over the place indonesia it was in the charts and we never actually ever because we spent so much time in america Sort of copyright issues as well. Is that something that mm, happened? What with I'm Free? Yeah. No, it wasn't any copyright issues. It was a cover version of a Rolling Stones song. So you so, didn't have um, any problems with it? They didn't have any problems with it, but these days, if you were to do a kind of interpretation like that, you would you would share the the writing. Mm. Uh, at their time, their manager was uh, quite a famous 60s manager, Alan Klein, basically agreed to give me an arrangement credit for the work that I did, kind of rewriting the track. But that arrangement credit obviously was 
but uh, he kind of he kind of made it out there. You know, I was what in my early twenties, and it was like for the first time ever, ever, it's going to be Jaggers Richards and another name be Jaggers Richards Dixon. Oh. I mean, it says it actually says Jaggers Richards arrangement Dixon. So I was like, you know, being a massive Stones fan, I was actually really like yeah. blown away by that, but. Um, you know, from from a financial point of view, it doesn't mean anything. It just, but uh, yeah. But the but, yeah. uh, well, but these days, if you were to do something like that, you would obviously, you know, because it's 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 more a popular thing now. People, um, you know, sample things or it takes sections from things, whatever. But in nineteen ninety, not so much. So I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. I can't really remember that many tracks that were doing that kind of thing. What sampling music, uh, changing the arrangement? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't a sample. It was a it was a rewrite. It was taking somebody's song and then reinterpreting it with different word, but added words and mm. added musicality, etc. What made you think to do that then? What happened? I didn't think. I didn't have the record. I just made it up as we went along. <laughs> Seriously, it was like it was you know it was before the internet. You didn't dial up. Oh, let's do this cover version. You dial up and get the lyrics and get the music. Yeah. I just saw it one night on television about four o'clock in the morning on BBC Two, uh, the Stones at Hyde Park, which is one of the only, one of the very, very oh, few times. Oh, that's a really good, yeah, that's a good gig. So it's one of the very few times they play I'm Free. Mm. And um, uh, I, I just stuck in my head and we had a few days left in the studio and I just decided to do it and I made it up. And that's why the lyrics are quite different as well. Yeah. Because I didn't have the lyrics. And, um, don't be afraid of your freedom. I added because it was something I thought that made it more contemporary with the kind of what was happening in the country at that point. And there was a lot of, you know, the whole Thatcher system was trying to close down raves and there was a lot of laws coming in and things. So I kind of, that, that was kind of, the thing I kind of thought I would bring to it to try and make it not this cover version of a 60s song, but a contemporary statement of what was going on in the world at that time. Yeah, and I bet it's been sampled quite a bit in the in the clubs now, though, hasn't it? There's quite a lot of um, remakes of it, or not? There's been a lot of re- there's been yeah. remakes. There's been remakes of the remake. Nobody else has actually covered the original Stones ones. Well, here's one from Dua Lipa. I said I'm free to do what I want any old time. I say, love me, hold me, love me, hold me, cause I'm free to do what I want any old time. Well, it brings me on to you, though. I mean, you're a bit of a DJ now, aren't you? When did that all start? That just happened because I had lots of records. You but know, you're very like, good at it. <laughs> um, I think I think I'm. I'm not sure. It's the, it's uh, it's not something that wasn't like one day I woke up and thought I want to be a DJ. <laughs> it just kind of happened. You know, I was uh, towards the end of the, you know the Soup Dragon. The Soup Dragons finished. I had a band called the High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. And around that time, um, just towards the end of the High Fidelity, you know, it was around that time of the High Fidelity. My friend, we used to run a party at Glasgow Art School every week. And that's kind of how I ended up DJing. It was, um, 
I was asked to fill in for somebody one night at a party. Uh, could you bring along? Everybody knew I had lots of disco records, so I brought along a load of disco records. And, um, and that's kind of how the party started, record players, which ran for many, many years. And then I moved to London and um, I moved to London with like kind of, it's like my careers in music. I don't know anything else. And ended up DJing in some clubs. And then six years later, I realised I was a DJ because I was basically DJing every week. And what clubs. year was that then, Sean? When I moved to London, um, yeah. about 2004, 2005. So yeah, big clubbing times then. 2004. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's lots of lots of exciting things going on, yeah. I know that Norman Cook done a version of I'm Free. Oh, maybe he that's had, what it was. He did a remix of I'm Free for the Stones. For well, This is a, an interesting one. Uh, our version of I'm Free kept getting used in uh, adverts, which obviously, if it goes via the Stones, they've got to ask us. And yeah. it got to the point in the States, it was like on so many adverts. And, and I think I turned one down. It was like for a, for a bank oh. company or something. Okay. Uh, so the Stones got Norman Cook to remix it and it just sounds like ours. Mm. So it was kind of like, well, if they won't let us use it, we'll just do a cover version. Like yeah. It. He seems to be able to get away with anything now, doesn't he, that Norman Cook? Fat bush it's a good, it's an okay remix, but um, yeah, it does. Not as good as yours. <laughs> I said I'm free to do what I want any old time. I say love me, hold me, love me. There was a, there was a, there was a poll in Australia a few years ago of the most popular records in Australia. And it was in the top 200. Really? It really surprised me, yeah. It was like, it was, uh, I don't know if it was like a poll from a radio station or it was from a newspaper or what, but I just always remember um, somebody sending me it and it was in the, you know, uh, it was in the top 200 most popular records in Australia. Cool. So I hear that Nick Egan did a few of your videos. Is that right? Um, Nick, I presume Nick was, I, I met Nick, on the tour, but I didn't really know him that well because he was obviously a friend of Michael's and Michael's kind of side thing. Although Michael used to hang out quite a lot with us, he used to come backstage and hang out in our dressing room quite a lot more than his own dressing room. <laughs> 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 it used, used to be every yeah. night, just us and Michael sitting there having a drink, having a laugh. Um, None of the others, just Michael. To be honest, I kind of hung about with Michael more. I got on really well with him. Um, yeah. We kind of we kind of clicked, um, and then after that tour, we um, made the album Hotwired, which was where Divine Thing came from, and um, Jazz our manager, um, you know, put forward Nick doing the video, and you know, I loved Nick's works. I mean, he'd Buffalo Gals, etc. You know, Nick's made some amazing stuff, and. Um, we just really clicked because I was always very, very one-on-one with the people making our videos. So we made a couple of videos with Nick, uh, made uh, Divine Thing, made Pleasure, and made later towards the end, One Way Street.
next lovely oh, sweetheart. What an absolute sweetheart he is. He's very encouraging to me as well. He really helps me with, with a lot of this as well. So thank you. Yeah, he actually got us in touch with each other, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yes. Mm, mm. The wonders of the internet. I know. You in Glasgow. Where are you at the moment? You're in London now. I'm in London, yeah. So where, what part of London are you in? East London. Oh, East. East. London. Uh, I, yeah, I ended I up love, in East I, London. I live up in, in Bow. Bow. Oh, Bow. 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 If you say bow, a Scottish accent, and they go, where do you live? And you go, bow. They go, where? And you're like, bow, bow. You have to go bow. I live in bow. <laughs> so what else can you tell us about in excess? Or is, in excess? A- so is this, is this an in excess podcast? <laughs> I've actually, the one thing I do have, and I've told Nick this as well, um, I used to carry a video camera about all the time and a Super 8 camera. But the video camera, um, I used to have like a little, you know, in those days it was a high eight video camera and the little cassettes that were on it. And um, I took it about on that tour all backstage the whole time. And a few years ago, I found the cassettes and I've never, obviously the camera doesn't exist anymore, but I've never seen what's on those cassette, those cassettes. And I should really get those cassettes digitised. I remember at the time the person that was making the movie that came out, um, was it Mystify, the movie that came out? Yeah, Richard Lowenstein. Yeah, they contacted me because somebody found out. Uh, this, actually, it was, a, it was a good few years ago I found the cassettes and, and um, that somebody contacted me um, from that company um, said, do I have any any stories or anything I could, any footage? And I told them, oh, actually, I found all these cassettes from around then. And they said, could we have them to digitise? And I said, well, not really, because a lot of the stuff on those cassettes is going to be personal as well. Mm. You know, I wasn't just going to hand over stuff to no. film company. Um, and they got a bit funny about it. Um, I said, well, I can get it digitised, but you, you're obviously going to have to pay for it, you know. Mm. And then, you know, and then the kind of, uh, the conversation stopped. So basically, I do. I have these four video cassettes that are about two hours long. Each cassette, I think, is about two hours long of those tours. It'll be interesting for you alone, though. Really, I mean, yeah, for, for I'm, you I'm, to I'm go presu- back. Yeah, but I'm presuming there is footage from from the two back, the, the Super Dragons in excess and backstage and all kinds of you things. Have to, you have to sort that out. Why are you yeah, not doing it? A, what, what's I've just never, I've never got around to doing it. It's actually sitting on my desk over there. I was like, you know, yeah, I, I keep meaning to do it, but I've just never done it. I contacted, you know, and it was also the pandemic, you know, because last year mm. I did actually think to myself, right, this year I'm going to do this. Because, mm. you know, Soho in London, there must be places in Soho in London that could do it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously what's happened's happened. So, yeah, maybe when I come out the other end of all this, I will... I will adventure to get those cassettes uh, digitised. Well, you need to let me know what's on them then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, obviously I'll pass it over to Nick as well. You know, I'd, I'd like it to be in the hands of people that I trust with the footage instead mm. of it just... Uh, I really didn't trust that company that just wanted all my footage. It was like, we'll take the cassettes and we'll work out what we need off them. And it was a bit like, well, well this isn't just about, you know the unexcess thing. This is also about, this is our 
video, you know, backstage hotels, whatever, you know, I actually don't know what's on these cassettes. I think so. you would have been okay. Richard's a really nice guy. I've met Richard a few times, Richard Lowenstein, who is the director. I'm not sure about the other people, but I know that they've all got good integrity. So I'm sure that that would have been good with, with your things, but you don't know that. I mean, especially no, like no, how far away you are from them. Yeah, but also, I, also, I, I, I don't know what's on the cassettes. Mm. I don't want somebody seeing something that I don't want somebody to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, hell knows what's on those cassettes. I don't know. You know, oh God, I, I, I would I have had them it. done by now. I can't. I, I'm, I'm very excited for you to do them. Just so you. The one know. thing I do, the one thing I do remember, because it was kind of also part of the own and around the NXS tour, we were playing our own gigs as well. And I remember we went to San Francisco and met a guy who was Ken Casey's uh, son who had some original acid and blotting paper from his dad's, you know, from his dad's stash in the 60s. Wow. And he gave us a sheet of blotting. Yeah, he gave us a stash, stash, like, stash of this bit of blotting paper, which we then went down to LA after San Francisco and we took, um, we went to uh, Universal Studios uh, apart from one of us, I think it was um, maybe Sushil had the camera and we went on that train that, you know, with King Kong shakes and all this, tripping on acid and filmed it. And um, I always remember we used to always play it back because the only way to play the, the cassette was on the camera. So we used to always play it back and watch it because it was just absolutely hysterical. Because we were just, <laughs> we had no idea that when you turn around the corner, King Kong's about to attack the train, like a full size King Kong. And we, and we're completely tripping on acid. So uh, yeah, that's what, I know that's on the video cassette somewhere. Oh, you've got to do it. Even for, are you still in touch with the guys from the band? Yes, we are, yeah. We're oh, that's good. You're still mates. That's really good. Oh, you even for, for them, you know, you should do it for a little sort of get-together. Yeah, maybe I could make a little mini video, mini, yeah. mini film, a little mini film out of it or something. Our very own program here tonight. They are back. They have a, a brand new album. It's right here. It's entitled Hot Wired. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome all the way from Glasgow, the Soup Dragon. <laughs> very honoured to be doing this for him in a way and mm. um, that's how I feel met many people that have known him and everyone's very consistent on that he was a really cool guy a good guy a kind person everyone yeah. says it 
Every 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 interview I've ever done um, over the years that I've brought up the association with Michael, um, I always say in the music industry, hands down the nicest man I've ever met in the music industry, full stop. He cared so much about making sure I was comfortable, we were comfortable, and he kept in contact with me afterwards as well. I tell you, <laughs> your, your listeners will love this story. This is a true story. So Michael phoned me. This was the, so what was that tour? Was that 91, that yes. tour, wasn't it? 91, yeah, so the we, X yeah, tour. So they went, they came to Glasgow about 92-ish, 90, maybe 92, 93, um, to play the SECC, which is a big arena. So he phoned, he phoned me a f- the week before. Um, how he got my number, I actually don't know, but he's Michael Hutchins, of course he'd get my number. And he got my number and phoned me up. He's like, oh, it's Michael here. And, I'm like, and I thought it was my friend. And I'm like, oh, come on, who is this? Is that you, Paul? And he's like... That's Michael Hutchins. And I'm like, what are you phoning me? Where are you? And he goes, I'm in Glasgow. And I'm like, oh, God, I've got your plane tomorrow, aren't you? And he went, yeah, yeah, you're coming to the show. And I'm like, yeah, of course. I was going to contact somebody and come along. And he goes, like, come along to the show. And he goes, you take us out afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll take you out afterwards. Nick will remember this because I think Nick was there as well. And it was, uh, I was like, yeah, we'll go afterwards. And um <laughs> The show was a Tuesday night in Glasgow. Oh, God. So we went backstage afterwards, and Michael basically had a coach full of people. And it was like one of those coaches that you'd go to Butlins on, you know, your old fashioned (laughs) 70s coach, like in a carry on movie. And he's like, he's like, yeah, everybody on the coach, Sean's taking us somewhere tonight. And I'm like, oh, am I? I was just like, what? And he was like, and he's st- and he's got, you know, the microphone at the front of the coach. Right, so where are we going? Where are we going? So like we're driving through Glasgow on a Tuesday night at like half past eleven <laughs> in a rainy Tuesday Glasgow. And I'm like, and I'm sitting Where do I go? <laughs> so I'm sitting with like, you know, my girlfriend and Dems of the band and all that. And I'm like, oh god, where do we go to go? They're like, right, let's go to the sub club, the sub clubs. So we went to the sub club, closed. Of course it's closed. Tuesday night. The tunnel, the tunnel, the tunnel's got a VIP room. Yeah, so if we go to the tunnel, we can get in the VIP room and you know, went to the tunnel, closed. And then it was like we went, I went to the I went to the driver, where's open? And he goes, um, Bennett's, which is a gay club, he goes, Bennett's on a Tuesday night as a kind of like, it's a kind of mixed night, but it's not really. He goes, Bennett's is open on a Tuesday night. And um, we, so we were like, yeah, let's go to Bennett's. <laughs> so we drive this coach up to this little gay club called Bennett's in Glasgow, get out and um, went to the door and I was like, I've got an excess in the bus. Can we all get in? And they were like, yeah. And as we walked in, they were playing Suicide Blonde. Oh, no way. No and way. as we walked, as we walked in, people started screaming, like <laughs> they'd all they all came from the gig. You know, yeah. of course. It's like, only yeah. So the manager says to me, I was like, you, you could we get a room we can go to? And the manager's like, We'll clear everybody from that corner of the where all the sofas were. So he goes up and he starts putting a bit of rope up in front of him to write everybody away from us. And obviously, typical Glaswegian, you know, this girl going like, hey, do you think you are to Michael Hutchins? 
this is my seat. You're not getting my seat. You know? so then we like, oh my God, this is all good off. And then we managed. And there was like people just shoving photos. A bit like train face. spotting. I can imagine. Yeah, like shoving cameras in his face and things and like touching his hair and that. And I'm like, and oh, I'm like, no. this is really doing your head down, isn't it? And he's, he, Michael being the sweet, I was like, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. But you could see his face was like, you know, get me the hell out of here. So we sat down on this corner and then out the side of his eye, he peered and he saw the fire exit. And he's like, five, four, three, two, one. We all just ran to the fire exit and ran out onto the streets of Glasgow, jumped a taxi, and then we all went back to the hotel and partied at the hotel. So I took an excess to a gay club in Glasgow on a Tuesday rainy night. And got shouted out by a load of women. That's my, that's my claim. That's my claim to fame. <laughs> Why was, well, I, can't, I still can't believe as we walked in, Suicide Blonde was playing. That's oh, that was insane for a bit there. Oh my god, that that is a good story. That is that's a really a good, good story. I had a few good stories. <laughs> I with, bet he didn't yeah. call you again after that. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> It was, it was really fun on that tour because he was going out with Kylie at the time as well. So was he? Know, was Kylie, he? Was he in between Kylie and Helena, or was he? Yeah, he was totally because one day Kylie mm. be there and one day next day yeah. So it was a we we watched this whole whole yes, thing on hold, <laughs> <laughs> and we were also told not to say anything to newspapers by people. It was like. Do like, oh yeah, we're going to phone the sun tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. It was like, no, we were on tour. We we're very, you know, we we're very uh, protective of our uh, of our um, little family for those six weeks. I think it was six weeks long, wasn't it? Um, it was. It was an amazing time. Looking back on it now, it's like you, you know, like one of the gigs we played at uh, NASA Coliseum, which is. See the Long Island or New Jersey? It's one of the two. Um, we played and we played I'm Free and the crowd sang along so loud that we had to stop because we couldn't hear ourselves play. Wow. It was like that. literally like, like 30,000 people singing I'm Free. It was just like, holy shit. I was just kind of stopped with tears in our eyes looking at each other. Wow. And the girl from the girl from a record company in London was there and she was crying. I look over and like, she's crying. And two nights at Madison Square Gardens. Insane. You know, again, you know, we were... Um, <laughs> Alice, Alice Cooper, like... Backstage, knocking your dressing room door, asking to meet you. It's like mm-hmm. you're Alice Cooper. Yeah, you know. We had, we, it was it was an amazing insight to, and I think that's why you know, on a serious side, why Michael kept joking that he kept saying to me, "I wish that was in your band." And I'm like, "Why?" And he goes, "Because you're doing what I did ten years ago, and you have that youth and energy and experience and things for the first time yeah. and I could see there was there was a slight sadness in him with that because it became so big and so huge yeah. that when you become that big and that huge you lose a bit of the control over it so it was it was interesting seeing him enjoy us enjoying it all for the first time you know because for, for us it was all just like you know, I think you were just like kind of like rabbits in the headlights. Oh my god, you know, it's like there's like there's like five thousand people screaming outside that door trying to get in, you know. And, and he and, and, enjoyed and, that, didn't he? Enjoyed, he enjoyed that that everything being new and it, the experiences of things. So he would have enjoyed yeah, yeah. 
seeing you enjoy it. Yes, yeah, he, he, he really, he really, he really he used to like hang out quite a lot backstage with us and have a laugh about uh, dumb things. It wasn't like record company things or music things. We were just talking nonsense, you know, and. I, I can't remember, but it was just all I remember was it got to the point where it wasn't like he was Michael Hutchins, a pop star. It was just, oh, there's Michael. Hey, Michael, come on. And we were just like feet up, having a carry on and talking rubbish. It was, it was, it was lovely. It was, he was, uh, and other members, I'm, I'm not just saying it was Michael, other members of the band as well, but everybody, it was backstage at those arenas are so huge. Everybody has their own little spaces mm. we just had like one dressing room so we were quite easy to find you know and um on our rider we had uh every night we had a blender uh two trash cans full of ice uh lots of tequila and margarita mix so we were we were basically like a kind of traveling cocktail bar <laughs> every night we'd make fro- we'd make froze because i had this concept that frozen margaritas were good for my vocals while singing oh yeah because it's cold because it's cold <laughs> and it numbs at the same time so if you had a sore throat you were getting the numbing from and and, it, and i also had this concept that drinking frozen drinks hydrated you Oh. So um, yeah, so that was. I, I like I, your I dis- theories. I think. Yeah, I discovered frozen margaritas. You know, this was nineteen ninety. I'd never really had frozen margaritas before, so I discovered frozen margaritas, and uh, that was my tour drink. Was frozen margaritas. I think I got uh, told off one night, if I remember, on tour for getting him drunk on tequila because he jumped off something on stage and hurt his leg. Oh. And um, I was told to stop. Um, stop plying Michael with tequila before he goes on stage. <laughs> I'm like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I think it was a tour manager or something said that to me. Um, do you keep plying? Because we would, we would, we would, we would always be a tequila. Yeah, I, I, a I've heard about Michael on tequila and um, yeah, it, it didn't suit him. Okay. (laughs) So that's probably what it was. I think it. You know, when you just have that one drink that doesn't really sit well. Yeah, mine's mine's is whiskey. Yours, mine's whiskey. Yeah. doing now i'm at the moment doing a a, an album uh project with a a singer uh called david mccalment that you may know from mccalment and butler um who's a good friend of mine who's just one of the most amazing vocalists and amazing songwriters and the two of us together have wrote this amazing album which has a lot of orchestration on it you know, just 12 really beautiful songs um, presented in an interesting way. Uh, and that should be out, uh, I would say that'll be out the second half of the year. Um, I'm, li- I'm literally uh, been mixing it here. I've done, I've done, it's the first time actually, I usually make records and then you take them, to, you know, these days you take them to studio and finish them in the studio. It's the first time I've done the whole thing myself completely at home and we're very proud of it. It's uh 
it's a very immersive album. Um, it's got you know it's twelve you know it's 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 got the kind of the um, coziness of being twelve songs you know actual songs, but uh, it doesn't sound like anything you've heard before. Yeah. Uh, we released we released a record. Um, the project the, the, our project name is Mick Hi-Fi because I'm Hi-Fi Sean and he's David McCalmont. Uh, and we thought it was quite funny because we used to jokingly call ourselves Mick Hi-Fi, Mick like, Hi-Fi, like Mick Nuggets, Mick. McFries, McShake, and like McHiFi. <laughs> and, and it's stuck because yeah. it's just, we couldn't, we couldn't think of a name. It's hard to think of a band name when you're older. Mm. You know, I'm not older, older, but you know, I've been in lots of bands. I've had to think of names. And it's like every name we come up with, it was like, yeah, you know, you just, you know, you'd say a name, you'd be like, nah. And then we realized that all a band name is, is an empty vessel until you start putting music in it. I mean, it's like if you sat there and said Tame Impala, you'd be like, no, you know, mm-hmm. it's not great. I mean, it's a great name now because it's connected with the music. Yeah. It's an empty vessel. In excess, it's not the greatest name. But you don't, don't you think? <laughs> I think in excess is a pretty, but you don't connect it with just the word. You connect it with everything that's been put into the word. Yeah. So that's what we came up with the concept. It's like, you know, this joke of Mick Hi-Fi, it's just a product name because it's a product of our two two names. Mm-hmm. And it's also quite it's also quite pop art because it has that obvious um marketing element of McDonald, McHi, you know, McFries, McShake. That is just it was just a kind of um a twisted joke that seems to have stuck. So um if you go on YouTube, we released a record right in the middle of the first wave of the pandemic last year. Uh, we wrote a song um, while well, David was in his house and I was in my house. And we were writing it backwards and forwards. And we wrote a song called Bunker to Bunker about being in love but not being able to connect. Mm-hmm. And um, we shot the video on a... We shot the video on our phones, which you can do these days on 4K. Um, we went down to like a local beach and the beach during the first wave of the pandemic, there wasn't a single person anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it honestly looks, it just looked alien. It looked like some kind of Martian, you know, it looked like some kind of Martian landscape. Yeah. So we yeah. shot, they shot the video um, obviously with us apart um, as a kind of yearning to be hugged. And that's oh. what Bunker to Bunker by McHi-Fi. it's bred a really honest and mm. unfashionable album as well because I played it to somebody um, 
our pub, my publisher, and I was kind of panicking. I was like, oh, we really need to get this out soon. And he said, this album could come out this year, next year, 10 years time, because it just does not follow any fashions. It's, it's its own little space. And I think that's the thing I'm most proud of. We've created our own little world for this album. So you can't like put it as a category. It's funny actually, because I was just watching something about like in an interview with you and you you were on about being categorized and you're like, I don't really like, that's the marketing of people. You just make the music and allow the marketing to categorize you. So where would you, are you over a few categories with this new album then? It's um, we we kind of we just when we talk about it we say it's um, psychedelic electronic soul which which it is David's a soul singer uh, the music's electronic and it has psychedelic tendencies as in being experimental with sound so it's psychedelic electronic soul you know this kind of feels like if it was all to finish if everything was to end now I've done it. And that's a really good feeling. Mm. You know, if I was to walk out the door and get knocked down tomorrow, I'd actually be quite happy that this was the last thing that was ever left. Uh, really? You know, yeah, this, totally. this, is, this is what you've worked towards, you feel? 100%. Oh, that, no, no ifs or buts about it. And I'm not usually one that, I'm not one of these kind of no Gallagher, Liam Gallaghers. I'm I'm bleeping mad me. I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm the best in the world. I'm great. I'm not, I'm usually the person that puts myself down first, but it's the first time I just feel, yes, this is a creation. Oh, you make me really want to go and listen to it now, then I can't wait. So when's it out? The middle after of the summer. year? Yeah, I'd say after summer. Yeah. Your summer. <laughs> Oh, yeah, our summer. <laughs> you know, after your winter. You, really you know, this goes out around the world. We've got a lot a lot of followers, well, all over the world. I would, um, say, I would say like the second half of the year. Yeah. Second half so, with, with, so if you look, if you follow us, if you follow us on all the all the, the links, McKaifi, M-C-H-I-F-I, as in McCalmont and Hi-Fi, McHi-Fi. And, you know, we're on Instagram, there, there, there. We're on all there. So as, as things unfold, things will come out. Or you can go on Spotify and uh, Bunker to Bunker is up there. word was said about it everybody said it was quite unique as well which was exactly what we're trying to do yes. is make unique music so um we'll see what happens we'll see except well i can't wait talk to, to me talk to me in a year time talk to me this time next year how about we, we do that happened. yeah we'll do let's that let's do that right let's All date right. next okay. year let's okay. talk so you and we can we can um pull apart what happened in the last 12 months probably be in another wave of pandemic or something and i promise you by this time next year you'll have your youtube channel i'll try get those video cassettes digitized so if i had if i can't find any nxs footage to show you i'll let you see the soup dragons on acid getting chased by <laughs> I would love that anyway. All right. Well, you better go. Take care of yourself. And, you too. You too. Um, and thank you for your time. Soon. That's right. Anytime you want.
Anytime. All right. Yes, All right, Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take Bye. care. Bye. Gadinsky here in Australia this week. And uh, as sort of mentioned uh, earlier, he really is sort of the Clive Davis sort of uh, record studio head, uh, impresario, touring guy, you know, uh, booking guy, uh, manager. Like he was he was everything over a sort of a 40, 50-year career for, for all the major Australian artists that came out of here, maybe bar in excess. Um, but equally, you know, he had quite a presence internationally with certain artists that he signed up first for here that ended up kicking on internationally, even though not all of them were based here. So I'm just going to mention a few names of some bands, both local and international, that he effectively, without him, uh, and as we've said before, the music business, I mean, without the business, you don't get to hear the music. Mm -hmm. So providing the framework, the studios, the support, all that sort of stuff, that's how artists get the time, effort and resources to be able to, uh, you know, portray their music. So he's just some artists that uh, he's, he's looked after over his time. Uh, Skyhooks, which were the biggest band in the 70s in Australia, um, we'll hear from them in a moment, uh, were massive players and effectively funded his business to launch. Uh, Kylie Minogue, uh, a lot of people internationally know Kylie, especially in the UK and Australia, uh, but he signed her up and it was more of a as a charity single uh, to raise some money for a footy team that was the song Locomotion. Who was uh, it? Yeah, suddenly it was that. a cover of a, a Carol King sort of pen song. Oh. Then that kicked on to her career in Neighbours and then suddenly she was doing sort of stuff internationally in Stock Aiken and Waterman. But um, he still, you know, has had Kylie under his umbrella for all her career. Uh, Garbage with Shirley Manson, who mm -hmm. I think B sent a, a beautiful uh, homage to Michael this week. Beautiful you know, tribute she yeah. wrote. Yeah, straight from the heart, wasn't it? Well, Jeez. Michael created Mushroom Records, the label. So the word mushroom sort of coming up from the ground and supporting earthy, you know, type yes. of you know, creations. He felt there wasn't this support of local artists. But down the track after helping a lot of Australian artists, he had international artists come to him wanting him to be the label that they were on. Mm. So Garbage was one of those. In the mid '90s, uh, Hunters and Collectors. Uh, Peter Andre, we apologise mm -hmm. the world for that one, but uh, he still was uh, successful, <laughs> yeah. especially in England. He was uh, a nice guy, though. Who? Oh, Peter Andre. Peter Andre. Okay. Wasn't he married to that like Jordan? Yes, that Jordan. <laughs> I think those, the, married to those Jordans. Those Jordans. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we are when we're blue tie. I think he's come and gone from there. Literally. Come on, this is a tribute. Okay. Topic. 
Moving on. Uh, split Ends, a massive band, but probably even bigger. Crowded House uh, grew out of Split Ends, but Split Ends were one of the biggest bands in its local area. Uh, the Church, Under the Milky Way, a lot of international uh, audiences would know that song. Uh, Frente, uh, a lot of people would know their international cover of Bizarre Love Triangle uh, from New Order. Uh, Paul Kelly, the Bob Dylan of Australia. Uh, Nelly Furtada, uh, who was massive overseas, but signed here first. Uh, the Saints. Uh, there's a whole plethora of bands and things like that. And what we just thought we would do for, for, for Michael for the moment is just uh, for a few minutes, put on a montage of some songs and things. And some of them you will all know. And a couple you might go, wow, that's catchy. Let me go dive deep on that one. So, uh, Michael, your contribution to world music and artists. And as I think Mark uh, Opet said, your reinvestment of your money into artists was something that was just distinctive. Uh, and to this particular day, uh, is regarded and respected, uh, you know, globally, hence the, the fallout. Uh, even, you know, Springsteen and Ed Sheeran have sent, you know, uh, condolences through because he looked after them when they've toured here. I mean, he was everything to our uh, area there. So, um, again, rest in peace, Michael. These songs are for you. And uh, I know, uh, as I said for Mark Opitz, uh, you're his hero and you're a hero to many.
Susan Foxy from San Francisco. This is Amory from Ohio, and that's a wrap. All right, well, that's a wrap. Uh, again, another episode in the can. Uh, I love doing this uh, this podcast, B. I I must say. Um, you know, we're sort of figuring our way along, and I think we're getting there. We're getting some traction, aren't we? Big traction? What are you talking about? As we're speaking today, we hit 20K. Oh, my God. And you know what? Good? We love... Is that good? Yeah, but the thing is, I remember when we hit a thousand and we said, oh, yeah, we want to hit... We were like being boastful. Yeah, let's hit 20 when we're um, a year, right? And we're nine nine months. I mean, that's just... So I'm effectively just blown away by it. episodes have been downloaded either multiple times or mm. mul- multiple episodes a few times per person or individually. But uh, again, to the greater community who have, have decided to give up an hour, an hour and a half of your week with us, um, we really appreciate and say thank you. Thank you. That's really kind of you. And um, I'd like to also just our top fans of this week yep. and of over a few weeks, I've just got a few names that I would like to mention. Um, you might know some of these names, actually. Um, Stan Kisto, Michelle Mosset, Joe Hickley, Peter Law, Laurie Bales, Charlene Pagan, um, Sarah Lupton, Alison Wright, Val Dorset, Duana Hag, sorry, Desiree, <laughs> <laughs> Desiree Gambino, and Louise Thompson. Fantastic. So I guess they're people on the platform sharing and contributing and and they're from Facebook. They're our top fans in Facebook. Thank you, everybody. Uh, We would love to see you jump into our patron league. Uh, As I said, we uh, with upcoming episodes, we we try and as I said, every time we announce what we think we'll do a topic on something comes up, you know, uh, like this last week or two where we pivot with other things. So we've got zoom ones coming up. We have an album review coming up. We do have a rock and roll hall of fame app coming up. I mean, things are starting to hit our inbox ahead of the curve, aren't they B? Yeah. I want to say hello to Andrew Farris. Do you know him? I've heard of him. Uh, I think he's been made to listen to this in the car as we speak. So thank you, Marlena. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right well probably probably a bit irksome listening to your career uh through the lens of other people but if you do happen to check us out andrew we hope you like it all right well it's that time of the week we either do a cover or a tribute song and it just feels like lately b we keep doing tribute songs because um sadly we are losing some very you know um valuable people in the world who are either passing away uh or i guess sometimes in more positive tones maybe it's it's a tribute song to the greatness of an artist. So, you know, we, I guess this week with a bit of a heavy heart uh, are doing a bit of another tribute song for an ROP. But um, uh, this is a song that sort of unites both Mark Opitz and I guess Michael Gudinski together. Um, I can't help but feel that, you know, hearing from Mark and uh, the reverence that he held Michael in, um, that, you know, Michael must have helped Mark immeasurably in his career at different times. I just... You know, mm-hmm. sense that there was some support levels there that probably were distinctive than from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, despite Michael's passing, uh, this particular song, I think, uh, both financially but also production-wise, is something that's a special one for Mark. But it's also a special one that unites Michael Gudinski's Mushroom label within Excess. Yeah. Um, and the subject matter of the title is something that I'm sure Michael had plenty of in his life. Yes. Uh, and the title being Good Times uh, is something that more of an upbeat celebration of uh, Michael Gudinski's life and his friendship and rapport with with Mark Opitz. So we would like to put this on as a as a tribute version. Uh, I think we did one earlier in the year with Australian Made of a live version of this, B, but 
we're just going to go with the production album track because uh, as uh, Mark Opitz had said, uh, that if George Young, who wrote this song, was into it um, and was praising of it all, we want to, you know, highlight the actual produced version that uh, Mark... Well, let's hope Michael with. and Michael are bouncing in the sky to this. The two Michaels, yeah. The two yeah. Michaels. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Hey, just one more thing regarding, you know, that great interview with uh, with Sean there. It'd be great if we get some of that uh, footage from uh, that uh, long-lost uh, canon of his, AB. Hey, I know. Rare footage of in excess on tour. Oh, my yeah. God. It just blows my mind, that one. Yeah. So, and if we can have that when we do our YouTube as well, that would be yeah. fantastic. Yeah. 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 Got awesome. to smarten up for that, Hayden. I know. I know. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Everybody shame. Oh, Mary, Mary.